Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man, where we cover books that are a blast from Peter Parker's past. Today's books came out at the same time as the following three events. A no-smoking rule in U.S. federal buildings takes effect. Hulk Hogan successfully defends his title as WWF heavyweight champion against Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3 in Michigan. And Vincent Van Gogh's Sunflowers sells for 22.5 million pounds. The sale makes records for tripling the record for an auctioned painting. Here to provide additional insight on the most important of these events is my friend Eddie. Eddie, which of these events did you want to talk about? I think it says a lot about me when I say this Vincent Van Gogh sunflowers selling for a record amount. When I translate this into my world, this is about the time when your average musician could still buy an old Italian stringed instrument. And then in this year and beyond, these things became, quote, works of art. And so collectors would just buy violins and never play them because they were worth so much money so i you know the selling of van gogh i think starts off this like idea that art and art things that are artistic are very valuable because they're kind of one of a kinds and i gotta tell you it's made my world as a string player very difficult trying to afford a quality instrument and a lot of my friends well this whole art is valuable comes into the 80s and starts hitting the comic books and everyone thinks comic books are worth so much money. And as the early 90s begins, people are buying comics and five different copies of one book with different covers and putting them in plastic. And they have a reading copy, an extra copy. And everyone thinks I'm going to sell all these copies and I'm going to make my own millions of pounds later on. And of course, that doesn't work out and ends up bankrupting the whole industry, which makes them sell it and all kinds of things happen. So, boy, this uh, Sunflowers thing was definitely the biggest most important of these events huh yeah all right well james b tell us about one of these comics from this vintage yeah. well we're gonna have an appropriately titled one it's from january of 1987 new year stanley presents web of spider-man 22 prophet of doom written by len kaminsky penciled by mark silvestri and inked by art nichols joy mercado and peter fine budapest a war zone uh, they help a North Irish resistor, Liam, who tours them about the city and explains the resistance situation. But the IRA uh, doesn't like Snoopy Americans. And Peter and Joy are kidnapped and taken to a Roxxon Corp facility. Yeah, Peter is afraid to allow Joy to know he's Spider-Man, so he allows them both to almost be killed. Spider-Man helps them escape and poor Liam kills a terrorist who turns out to be his brother. Peter and Joy are mad that no one will go to trial for this. Roxxon decides it's too risky now to sell defective weapons to Great Britain and blows up the building. So there is no evidence. Dang, James V. <laughs> Big ending there. Uh, our next book is from February of 1987. Stanley presents Web of Spider-Man 23, Slip Sliding Away. Written by David Michelin and Len Kaminsky, penciled by Jim Fern, ink by Vince Coletta. On the flight back to Budapest, Joy is castigating Peter for being unprofessional because she thinks he has a deal with Spider-Man to only take pictures of Spider-Man. Spidey was able to stay incognito in London, 
but in Budapest, he like straight up saves Joy Mercado. I, I don't totally understand Joy's contrived story to explain Peter and Spider-Man's connection, but there's no way she doesn't know Peter is Spider-Man. Meanwhile, we get a one-page explanation of Slide's background and how he was double-crossed by his employer, but we get three full pages of Peter with Aunt May and Tenant Victor Palermo. At first, they eat chicken. Then Peter tells them about his trip. And then the saga culminates in Peter choosing syrup instead of honey on his waffles. Slide robs his crooked former employer. And while Spider-Man is able to web the briefcase full of money, Slide is carrying, he can't web Slide and he gets away. Peter heads to Atlantic City with Aunt May for a vacation weekend, but we see the vulture soaring overhead in the last panel. I'm glad to see a traditional Spider-Man villain like the vulture. Let's see what he can bring to the story, which is our next book from March of 1987. Stanley presents Web of Spider-Man 24, High Stakes, written by David Mescheline and Len Kaminsky, penciled by Del Barris, inked by Vince Coletta. Peter's in Atlantic City with his dear Aunt May. The vulture is also there and attempts to sell some loaded dice to a casino owner. The sale fails, so the vulture takes a nap and after <laughs> and after starts ripping apart the casino. Spider-Man tries to stop him, but he finds himself in serious trouble. He's saved by... The Hobgoblin. Turns out the casino is under the protection of the Rose, so Hobby was called in after the vulture first talked to the casino owner. Peter rides the bus home, pondering his problems and ignoring his aunt. I like this book. They spent a little PSA time on Know Your Limits, the gambling, <laughs> and then they got into the action with not one, not two, but three actual Spider-Man villains. Okay, there's a point where the Hobgoblin's getting ready to attack Spider-Man, and they're like, we don't have time for that. Go, go, go do something else. And he just, like, lets him go, but whatever. Hey, Eddie, we also had a magician who made Peter disappear. I saw a guy fall out a window. Closer to home in this book, we have appearances by Aunt May, Nathan Lubinsky, Victor and Rose Palermo, and even references to Jerry Mercado. A very good Web of Spider-Man book. What did you think, Eddie? As soon as I saw the vulture, I thought, this guy is old. <laughs> the writers Micheline and Kaminsky lean into this when the vulture drinks some uh, chelated manganese and reveals why he must raise a lot of money. Uh, it's for an epic funeral. <laughs> like I said before, he also takes a nap. There's a fearsome supervillain. Um, apparently, Spider-Man's powers were also on a vacation in Atlantic City because he has a lot of trouble fighting him without any obvious disadvantages or injuries. Not my favorite book, James B. Wow, I we didn't even set this up. I really, I really enjoy this book, and you really don't. We're gonna <laughs> have some things to talk about, but. Maybe it's because you don't understand what was really happening in this book. Let me see if we can find someone to talk to who was at the scene. That's right, listeners. It's time for The Daily Bugle Presents Live with Eddie. Each week, The Daily Bugle lets Eddie interview someone who was at the scene of these stories. Eddie, today, please welcome Vic Palermo to discuss everything 
that he saw and he learned also from Peter Parker when he was in Great Britain and uh, things he saw when Spider-Man was there. Okay, let me know when Vic is on the line. Hello, this is Vic. Hi, Vic. How are you doing today? Oh, I am very good. I am very good. Uh, hello, Eddie. Vic, um, have you been at Atlantic City lately? Yes, I was there with Rose and with Nathan. Oh, Nathan, that guy, he spends a lot of money. That guy spends a lot of money. You don't have that much money. He spends a lot of it, though. And then uh, May was there, too. Yeah. Uh, we, I... saw, we saw a magician. <laughs> did you? I, I heard he did some incredible tricks, right? Like... Mag- magnificent Manfred. <laughs> and you were very impressed by him, right? He was magnificent. He was magnificent. <laughs> I, the report I heard from Peter Parker was he wasn't that impressive. Could there he be... made Peter disappear. <laughs> For a long time, I expect, right? <laughs> well, I'm very glad you got to take a break from the boarding house and take a little vacation, right? Yes, we saw the magnificent Manfred. <laughs> yeah, Vic, you, you told me that already. Uh, anything else in Atlantic City... Uh, that you saw unusual or dangerous, perhaps? like. Well, Peter told us that when he was in Great Britain, yeah. he saw Spider-Man there, you know. He saw Spider-Man in Great Britain? Yes. Why he would said, Spider-Man be in Great Britain? <laughs> I don't know, but you know what else? What else? He had Colonel Sanders' chicken. <laughs> did he? Did he, <laughs> Vic? <laughs> 17 herbs and spices. 17! Oh, they do it every time. All right, all right. Well, Vic, do you drink some uh, chelated manganese? (laughs) I do not know what that is. (laughs) All right, I'll send you some, Vic. Thanks for appearing and talking to me about uh, your trip to Atlantic City. You're very welcome. Next time we talk, I'll talk to you about what the Mile High Club is. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Vic. (laughs) All right, thank you, Vic. Thank you, Eddie. That's all the time we have for today. Remember to check out the Daily Bugle for even more news and amazing firsthand eyewitness accounts like this. Eddie, I I was listening in. You didn't really get to like a lot of the questions I was expecting you to get to in that one. <laughs> Sorry, James B. You know, I I was having trouble concentrating for because of several things that Vic said. How can people reach us? You can email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com or click on the link in this podcast description to join our Discord channel and connect with us through social media. Eddie, we have a lot of time left. Why don't we do a bonus book? Oh, wonderful. Let's let's proceed and you tell me about what it's going to be. Eddie, there's a book that we skipped from 1976. Marvel Comics and Planned Parenthood present Pull of the Prodigy by Anne Robinson, Ross Andrew, and Mike Esposito. Let me give you a quick summary of the book, and then we can discuss it. Okay. Galloping guacamole, Eddie. The Prodigy, an alien in human disguise, attempts to convince teenagers to have unprotected sex, while Spider-Man knows teen pregnancy will lead to dead-end jobs and an unhappy life. You heard me right. Spider-Man knows that he can't afford to have a baby. He can barely afford his Twinkies. <laughs> so he steps in before the prodigy's teenage victims can fall for his ploy and stops the prodigy from speaking with his magic voice by shooting webbing down his throat. 
and exposing the prodigy as an alien on national TV. Great summary, James B. What might not be clear to the listeners is how well written this book is. I thought the message was clear and relatable with a canon-like Spider-Man plot. Like he finds a villain and fights the villain. And it's consistent also in how we characterize Spider-Man when he talks and thinks. I can't find much info on this writer, Ann Robertson, uh, but I know she worked in the licensing department at Marvel. I think we needed to write more often. There's so many delightful dated references to this book. It's so strange how I threw this in as a throwaway book because I really liked Web 24 and you and I are just completely opposite. (laughs) But to be fair, I didn't read this book probably as intently since I didn't feel I needed to be convinced not to have unprotected sex when I was a teenager. (laughs) So some of the messages I might not have been reading as closely as you were. I did catch the fact that Spider-Man really was like, I know I can't afford to have a baby. And I'm yes. like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, Eddie, was there anything else in this book that I should know about that yeah. you want to discuss? There are so many uh, dated references. And I know this is this is not quite your vintage. You're a little early. But I was wondering, do you want to play a game called Define the Dated Dialogue? Yeah, let's go. Okay, James B., I'm going to give you a quote from the book. You try your best to explain the dated part of it. Here's your first one. Dr. J, eat your heart out. Uh, I believe that's uh, Julius Irving from the from the Philadelphia 76ers. Ding, ding. Good job, James B. Correct. Uh, all right. Here's one that's a little bit harder. They should be home listening to their new Henry Gross album. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to take the loss in this one. I don't know who Henry Gross is. Uh, Henry Gross is kind of a gentle rock and roller from the 70s. So uh, both of us, it's okay. We don't know who he is. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, here's your next one. Are you going to follow this thing through? Are you going home and to catch the beginning of the Waltons? Uh, well, the Waltons obviously is a, a TV show. I, I'm proud that I don't know too much about it, except that I know that it's the one that has the series of people saying goodnight to each other at the end of the show. And one of them, of course, is always John Boy, who they always say goodnight to. But I don't know much else. Mary Walton, I believe, is one of them, but I don't know much about the show. James B., that was wonderful. I was so confident that you knew that what that was. I didn't bother to look up the Waltons. <laughs> <laughs> I could do the theme song, too, but that doesn't mean I know the show. It's too wholesome for me. I could do nothing. So <laughs> great job. All right. Here's your next one. My webbed head. I'm no Marcus Welby, but there's got to be some way these kids can get the right info. Yeah, this is definitely an an older show for sure. I I feel like it's Marcus Welby, MD, so I believe he's some kind of doctor, but I don't know anything about that. James B, so impressive. Your your knowledge of TV shows. That is correct, Marcus Welby, uh, MD. I can't say I'd spent much time reading about what the TV show is, but he's obviously a doctor offering advice throughout the show. <laughs> um, here's your hardest one, James B. On page four of this book, there's a note on Prodigy's bedroom mirror that says Galactic Glory. Can you think of the famous movie which had an inspirational note on a picture on a bedroom mirror from around this time? There's a movie... And the main character is looking into his mirror, and he he has 
a note or a picture, like you know, like to inspire him on a daily sure, basis. Sure, sure. Uh, I'll take a, I'll take a guess. But if not, I mean, I'm. Are we are we going for uh, Sylvester Stallone and Rocky? <laughs> James B. <laughs> I'm so impressed. I, yes, Ivan Drago in Rocky IV is on Sylvester Stallone's mirror. Wow. You're uh, you're paying attention to pop culture from your vintage, James B. I, I don't think that could have been what they were going for there because it's before Rocky IV uh, for sure comes out. But the fact that you wanted to, you know... Eddie, it's from 1976. It's true. Point. I know. I, I It's true. I got confused. What year did Rocky Four come out? I, I think definitely after 1976. I'm thinking Rocky is like 1985. 19... <laughs> yeah, like Rocky itself is like 1976. Right. Well, James B., as any good game should end, I make more mistakes than you. <laughs> I'm just so happy that it was a pop culture game. Yes, right up I'll your t- alley. Yes, we need more of these for me. Well, so thank you for playing Define the Dated Dialogue. Well, that was very interesting for me. And why don't you let everyone know what your most interesting realization is from this episode? As the vulture drifts off into a nap, he thinks about preserving his legacy by having his body taxidermied and placed in the Smithsonian. Goodbye. Goodbye. What if Rocky IV was inspired by this magnificent book we covered today, James B? (laughs) Galactic Glory. (laughs) It's made me laugh so hard. That's why I had to mention it. He's just got it taped to his mirror just to remind himself. (laughs) You're implying that there are only two instances of anyone ever putting an inspirational message in front of them and staring at it. (laughs) This is a five by six book, too. It's not even normal size book. It's a weird size. Can we talk about the Web of Spider-Man books Yeah, again? yeah, let's go back. Tell me about it. Web of Spider-Man 22. There's some guys kind of robbing them. And like, you know, I, I got to be honest, I can't keep track of when they're fighting Irish people and Great Britain people. But some guy gets out and he's like, Peter takes out his camera flash and he blinds a guy. And then that guy's immediately gunned down in the street and dies. He, yeah, he feels really badly about it. Like... The guy's like trying to corner him. It, this is the Irish Republican Army uh, guy who are the, you know, the quote terrorists or the rebels in normal Ireland. And the uh, United Kingdom Army is there trying to control the crowd. And there's obviously this huge scuffle that involves shooting. <laughs> and Peter, instead of using his Spider-Man abilities, just blinds this guy with his flash at a terrible time for the guy because he can't get away. <laughs> in the middle of the gunfire i agree it, it, there's not too many instances that we could directly say peter is responsible for the death of someone i guess but it seems pretty direct maybe 